you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. Your host, your host Phil. I apologize for taking some time off. Uh, things have been hectic, but I wanted to jump in because there's so much going on right now that directly involves California between the national politics and what's going on um, here locally in the state of California that I just had to get a podcast out and make sure I get it out before Easter weekend, um, which I won't be around, but I want to wish everybody a happy Easter. Uh, Passover started, so also to my Jewish listeners, uh, happy Passover. Um, And let's get started with Out of the Gate. It was a sunny, warm September afternoon. I was a sophomore in high school, and today was the first day of a new school year. We were walking to our school meeting, and some joker of a student said something about how someone flew a plane into the Pentagon, and we were under attack. And since he was somewhat of a goofball, no one believed whatever he was babbling about. Now, it wasn't until we got to school meeting and sat down. A somber and serious headmaster stepped to the podium and told us the news. A plane had just flown into the World Trade Center. He went on to say no one knew who did it or why, but he and his staff were going to work with students whose parents worked in the World Trade Center and in that area in New York. No classes were canceled, just go about your day as usual until they find out more information. It wasn't until later that I walked into the student center and saw people huddled around the TV. Everyone stood in silence and disbelief as they saw the images of the towers burning. They watched in horror as they replayed shots of the planes flying into the buildings. The only thing you heard outside of the noise of the TV was the sobs of people watching. Now, who did this to us, and why? There were so many questions. People were confused. They were scared of what was going to happen. No one knew what would happen tomorrow or the next day. We often forget that we, in that moment, life was so uncertain. Our innocence and brevity was stripped away in one single morning. People all over the country was wondering who was next. Were they going to attack the Golden Gate Bridge? Were they going to let off a dirty bomb in Chicago? No one knew. We knew that the world had changed that day and we could never go back. I remember one student who was whisked off campus in tears because they could not find her father. It was later revealed that he did not survive the attacks. Now, Representative Omar played this off as, quote, something some people did. No, Representative Omar, it was not just something some people did. The Jesse Smollett hoax was something some people did. And the killing of thousands of Americans was not just something. As she runs to the safe havens of late night comedy shows where she'll be praised and comforted and where they can easily play the victim card, Many Americans don't think it was just something. I doubt Representative Omar has had to look into the eyes of people who lost loved ones, whether it be innocent workers going off to work or first responders who rushed into certain peril and tell them it was just something. 
But Representative Omar is not alone. There are thousands of Americans who dismiss 9-11 as just another event in history, something to be downplayed as an aberration. They move on from it and ignore it, because to acknowledge it would be the same as acknowledging there are bad people in the world who want to harm this country. Many of them are here already. They don't terrorize or kill, but they are here to destroy our country from the inside out. Whether it's liberal professors in academia, corrupt bureaucrats, or race-baiting politicians, they are amongst us. They want to slowly bring down any remaining innocence this country had before 9-11. Many Americans, though, don't want that. And the other side just doesn't understand why they are so mad. It's because they don't brush this stuff off as just something. This is our home. This is our country. They forget the pain and anguish people felt when the country they loved was under attack. They want us to forget what America was like before then as they continue to tear down its institutions. They want you to adapt to a new way of life here in America, one where we aren't proud of this country and continue to walk around with great shame of its history. Millions have forgotten or are on their way to forget forgetting. But millions never will. Because it's impossible to forget an event that was anything but just something some people did. Now, obviously, I'm a kid from New Jersey. Um, That personal story, I I still, to this day, decades later almost to the point now, we're almost in 2021, we're almost to the point where it's been 20 years from 9-11. Isn't that crazy to think it's been almost 20 years since 9-11? I remember almost everything about 9-11. I remember the day. I remember what I did every single minute of that day, where I was. I remember what it was like to hear the headmaster. I remember what it was like to stand in that room and watch the news at that point. To see the horror in people's faces. To hear the sobbing. No one knew what was going on. To go to church that evening for a vigil. We look back now and say 9-11 was just a a, a microcosm in history. But it was not a microcosm in history. And it's true. I've talked to people who were on the West Coast during 9-11. And they said while they were saddened by what happened in New York, they were scared of what was going to happen here. And that's the feeling that was going on. It was complete chaos and pandemonium. Up until that point, most people had thought that America was invincible, that that we were the leading superpower, that nothing could topple us. The world was good. People seemed to be getting along. There was no extended wars at that point. And then this happens. And then we don't know. In the coming days and weeks, no one knew what was going to happen, whether there were more plans, whether they were going to wait. Maybe they had another planned attack that we didn't know about. It was hard to go into New York. I'll be honest. It was hard to go into New York from there on out because you had to look over your shoulder. You had to be careful of where you were in your surroundings. I remember I went to Ground Zero while they were cleaning up, I did not go during when it was all rubble. I think that was too much. I remember, of course, we, we were driving to go see uh, some relatives who lived 
in a town in New Jersey, close to New York City, about 15 minutes away. And there was always this hill that we would go over. And whenever we drove over that hill, it was always, my mother would say, oh, oh, here we go. You can see the city from here every time we drove over that hill. But we knew this time there would be something different. And we all prepared ourselves as we drove over that hill. No one said anything. And we just looked and we could see the billowing smoke from ground zero as we came over the hill. And that was how many miles away. So life was different. It was not just something. And I know that Representative Omar, she is she is dangerous for a number of reasons, but this this has to be the straw that breaks the camel's back for people who watch her. Throw this on top of her rabid anti-Semitic behavior. And it's just mind-boggling that people actually voted for her. That she is in the U.S. Congress making decisions on behalf of Americans. And she calls the greatest attack on American soil just something some people did. They were It was not just something and it was not some people. These people were out to harm America. They were out to kill innocent people. And to cause pandemonium. And they did. They were successful because they caused the pandemonium. They caused the worry. They caused our country to start looking over its shoulder. It caused us to spend trillions of dollars in the Middle East and weaken us in that position. If you look at 9-11 from that point of view, it could be argued that it was successful. But it's not just something. It wasn't just something that just happened. Even the first World Trade Center attack was not just something, even though it was a failed attack. Pearl Harbor was not just something that some people did. It was an attack that brought us into war, into the biggest war in the 20th century in modern history. Probably in human history, I would say, was World War II. That was not just something, okay? The Oklahoma City bombing was not just something somebody did. She's tried to downplay it because that's what she wants. She wants people to forget about 9-11 and forget the people who were involved in it. All of this while she's running around and she wants leniency for ISIS members. She, she wrote to President Trump to get leniency for an ISIS member. And then she goes out and says this was just something somebody did. And you, you have to connect the dots and say, this woman does not have America's intentions at heart. And she does the same thing over and over and over again. She'll run out and she'll say something outlandish about uh, the Jewish people, about Israel. Now this with 9-11, and she does the same exact thing. She runs back to her safe space and screams, Oh, this is racism. This is bigotry. They do it because of my religion and my color. No, I'm pretty sure if anybody got, if any white guy got up and said 9-11 was just something some people did and played it like that, he would be getting the same exact amount of blowback. But she hides behind this identity politics. She runs to Stephen Colbert, who, of course, is a lapdog for the left. He's a mouthpiece. He's He's a propagandist. Of course, he's going to sit there and ask her the softball questions to let her come on and say, 
oh, it's because of my skin color and who I am and, and this and that and the other thing. And CARE was not founded because of 9-11. CARE had already been in America for a long period of time. So that's another lie on her part to say, oh, CARE was something. It was, it was we created CARE because it was to uh, help protect the rights of Muslim Americans. It was not that. It was created long before that. More lies, more of her trying to downplay a significant event in a lot of people's lives. Like I said in my opening monologue, people, I knew people who had parents and relatives who were in the World Trade Center and in that area the day of. Some people were lucky enough because they were late. They didn't make it. They were on the subway and when it happened and they came up and they had no idea what was going on. I still remember the person I still remember her name, who lost her father because of these attacks. Could you imagine waking up one day and your, your father just goes off to work and he never comes back because of a terrorist attack? Would you just say, oh, well, uh, dad died and something some people did. I don't think that that person is going to sit there and say, oh, dad died and something some people did. I think she's going to say he died in a terrorist attack in New York. So I'm sorry if I start off this this podcast on a little on a serious note, but it hurts because stuff like that gets me angry. I will never forget. Like I said, I will. It's almost been 20 years. I remember so many details. I remember what I was wearing that day. I remember the 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 Joker kid who told me the news that the panic. I remember who I was walking with. I remember what I was talking about. I remember where I was sitting in school meeting when the headmaster got up and said the news that a plane had been flown into the World Trade Center. I remember sitting at formal dinner that night, talking with people. <coughs> That's not, you don't remember, you don't remember events that were just something. Okay. And I'm sorry, I, I don't want to attack Omar all the time because obviously anything can be construed as racism or bigotry. But what she said was beyond the pale and disgusting. I'm sorry. She offended millions of Americans when she said that. And she doesn't. She never apologizes. Someone has to actually hold her accountable. I know Representative Dan Crenshaw tried to hold her accountable but of course, he runs around. Of course, her response is something about racism and bigotry. And Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has to jump into the fray and defend her BFF. These justice Democrats who are trying to memory hole all the greatness of America and create their own big brother system. I get it. That's what the justice Democrats want to do. They want to memory hole everything that is good and great about America. And even in the sorrows and the stuff that we triumphed over, 9-11, people, we rebuilt from 9-11, people, we fought back after 9-11. You saw compassion, you saw people fighting, you saw people giving and sacrificing after 9-11, thousands if not millions of people donating to help. So it's not just something. 
So I just want to get that off my chest and start off because that really upset me when she said that as someone who was, who grew up on the East Coast and, and New York was, for lack of a better term, was my city at that point. Um, I mean, I still remember so many parts of it. I still remember, uh, I still remember the first game, the first professional game. It was uh, New York Mets versus the Atlanta Braves. And of course, as being a Mets fan, I remember that game. I remember the pit in all of our stomachs as the game started, as everyone was looking around, what was going on, the heightened security, everyone, it just, everything. There's so much of that time period that you remember. It's also important to remember that a lot of people didn't know what was going on. There are people across the country who were fearing for their own cities. 9-11 has much more of a ripple effect than just New York metro area. So with that said, we'll move on to our next topic, which actually has a little bit more to do with California. And this whole thing about uh, President Trump came out and said that he is proposing or thinking about an idea of taking illegal immigrants from the border who are waiting to, for asylum. All those people who are sitting there waiting for asylum claimed uh, asylum. And he said, why don't we take them and drop them in sanctuary cities? Um, is it... Is it reasonable? Is it a, a feasible idea? I would argue it's probably not. I don't think it's ever actually going to happen. But it's a, a brilliant political move by President Trump to call out all the advocates of sanctuary cities and have them put their money where their mouth is. I'm going to read a little bit of this article from Town Hall. Talking about it, uh, it, was, it is titled Sanctuary City Should Welcome Illegals Unless Liberals Are Lying. Um, it was framed as a big scoop. The Washington Post headline blared White House proposed releasing immigrant detainees in sanctuary cities targeting political foes. My God, the blue check mark brigade on Twitter gas. How dare the president of the United States even consider it doing such a horrible thing? But why? If liberals have been honest with the American public for the past years, they not only should welcome every illegal immigrant they can find to their refuges, they should be thanking Donald Trump for his kindness to them. Watching the story unfold was a bit odd if you've paid even a little bit of attention to the debate over illegal immigration these last few years. Supposed journalists and, quote, open-minded progressive Democrats who've sworn six ways from Sunday that illegal aliens are our moral betters were outraged. Words like dumping and punish were used to describe the idea of releasing the illegals required by law to be set free in jurisdictions that have laws protecting illegals from the consequences of their actions. You'd think a few more would be welcome, considering these laws are designed to make them feel welcomed in the first place. You'd be wrong. Almost to a person, anger was the order of the day from the left. But why? Why wouldn't cities like San Francisco welcome as many illegal aliens as possible? After all, we've been told by these people, leaders, and from these sanctuary areas that illegals commit fewer crimes than Americans and are an unbridled boon to the economy. Opposing their relocation would not only be missing an opportunity to lower the crime rate, but to bring about economic growth unrivaled since post-World War II. Of course, they were lying to us. Only the most faithful, the people for whom NBC is too fair, ever really believed those lies. Everyone with more IQ points than fingers recognized that these leftists were relieving themselves on the public while telling people it was raining. Now their bluff was called and they folded like a cheap suit. 
Still, the president should follow through on this idea. Make Democrats make the case against it. Let them explain how it's, quote, disrespectful. Somehow, and to whom, as Nancy Pelosi said. The mayor of Oakland, California, Libby Schaff, who made news last year by tipping off illegal alien criminals to ICE raids, shared her sentiments, which are common among the left. About the Post story, Schaaf said it was an outrageous abuse of power using human beings to settle political scores. Our president wants to punish everyone, those who seek sanctuary in a country and those who provide it. Schaaf went on to, as far as to call the idea illegal, immoral, undemocratic, and, of course, racist. Though, didn't really explain how. Granted, no one wants to move to Oakland, but how it's a racist thing remains a mystery. The truth is, illegal immigrants are a net drain on society. These aren't people with PhDs and piles of seed money looking to create the next great startup. They're largely people who can't speak English with little to no education. Many are illiterate in their native language. They will become the servant class for the liberal elite and their wealthy donors. More importantly to the left, they will be dependent on the government. Illegals, if liberals get their way, will count in the census. That means more federal money and continued overrepresentation in Democratic states. While Democrats support these things, they prefer it to happen under the radar. They don't like it when crime and depressed wages can be traced their policies. They don't like it when people notice they're picking up the tab for emergency rooms are flooded with non-English speakers, or schools have budget shortfalls and the low test scores from the added cost of teaching kids who don't speak the language. But it's never wealthy liberal areas impacted in these ways. The people inflicting this on their fellow Americans remain insulated from the consequences. It's poor, mostly minority kids who suffer. It's also poor minority kids who are inundated by the same liberal politicians and community leaders with the soul-crushing mantra that the system is rigged against them. They never mention how the system got rigged. They just attack Republicans and police as racist. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, and calling of calling out of bluffs is as old as time. Both of these would be engaged if the Trump administration followed through with the plan report Friday, and that's why liberals desperately oppose it. So, it's an interesting, definitely an interesting theory. Like I said, I don't know if it's completely plausible, it's completely feasible. They are looking, supposedly I keep getting updates, they are looking at all different aspects of it and how they could actually do it. Um, this goes hand in hand with the idea of getting rid of the salt deduction. See, the salt deduction was a financial way of kind of waking up people to the fact of how much their states are taxing them. Like here in California, people are complaining that because of the salt deduction, talked about this before on the podcast, the salt deduction is the state and local tax deduction. So if you paid a certain amount in state and local taxes, this is sort of the boilerplate explained to me like I'm five, uh, reasoning behind it, what you do is now you can deduct what you paid there and you can deduct it from your federal taxes. But now that's been eliminated. So if you paid a certain amount of taxes for California and for your local city, what happens then is you could go and deduct it. But now you can't deduct that, which means your tax bill went up. So now people are starting to see, okay, well, now I really actually have to pay that money. Uh, Now that's a problem. So it was that was a unique way of hitting people in the wallet to make them wake up to these high uh, tax areas. And we're going to get to an article about what they call taxation and how the California people are starting to wake up to being overtaxed uh, in a minute. But 
it's sort of this is now another aspect of doing that. If if liberal politicians and leftist politicians are all about sanctuary cities and we have to welcome all immigrants and, and they, they'd like to change the term to migrants because migrants sound like people who are purposely moving from one point to another. They like to say refugees, migrants, they like to dance around the subject and then they try and blend the whole thing together and say, well, you know, we're Nancy Pelosi's favorite thing is, well, we're a country founded on immigration. Well, yes, yes, Nancy, that is correct. There is a lot of people here who there are a lot of people here who are uh, immigrants. Um, I myself am a descendant of immigrants. Uh, However, those immigrants uh, showed up in Ellis Island. They waited in line. They became citizens and all that. Yes, we are a nation of immigrants. And in fact, you can trace only a small percentage of people who actually came over here on the Mayflower. And then, of course, if you want to get into the argument, well, Native Americans were here first. So, yeah, OK, we get it. Yeah, we get it. But um, she likes to say stuff like well, we're a nation of immigrants. What they don't they like to muddy the waters and play these word games that we're a nation of immigrants. But they always seem to forget that we're that people on the right. We, we don't, we're not opposed, or even people in the middle, nobody's opposed to legal immigration. I would venture to guess if you walked around outside and you asked people, are you against legal immigration? You may find a couple people here and there who say, oh, well, I'm against it because I think we let too many people in and we maybe need to shrink that number. But you, in essence, they would not be against legal immigration. And that's because why would someone be against legal immigration? You want to come to this country, you have to go through the process, you pay the fees, you get lawyers. There's people who tell stories about thousands of dollars, years that they've waited to become a citizen, the hard work it becomes, it takes to to get to that point. And now you hear these stories of illegal immigrants who are coming in and they're just skipping ahead in the line and they're getting preferential treatment from leftist policies. Basically, if you're a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state, there's no need to worry about being a legal immigrant because no one can report you to federal authorities. And since federal authorities have the exclusive jurisdiction on immigration, well, then you're basically safe. There's nothing you have to worry about. But going back to this point, this is a, another political move by the Trump administration to hit liberals where it really hurts. It's a smart idea. It's a tactical move to keep it in the news is a great idea. Because it makes them call out their bluff. And like it said in that article, calling out their bluff is sort of the whole point of this. That if they keep pressing on Democrats to say, make them argue why this is a bad idea. You can't argue that this is a bad idea while also espousing how great your sanctuary cities are. When you have people like Gavin Newsom who love the fact that we're a sanctuary state and that we welcome everybody and we want to build a house that welcomes everybody, that no one's rich and no one's poor and no one's illegal and there's no such thing as an illegal human, as Kristen Gillibrand likes to say. Make them argue why bringing people, bringing the people that they're protecting, bring them more. And now they're using the word like dumping. Dumping sounds like a pretty bad term to use when it comes to people. Yeah, people, when I think it was Nancy Pelosi came out and said, well, you can't just dump people into different cities and districts. Oh, really? Dumping? That's the word you like to do, use as if they're backing up the truck and dumping people like a bunch of garbage? So the political, it, it really is a smart move 
to kind of put this out there to show that the liberals and the left don't really uh, they're not standing behind the whole sanctuary city idea. And it's going to wake a lot of people up to say, wait a second, you're telling me we have to be a sanctuary city, but you don't even really believe in having welcoming those people into here. Oh, uh -uh, okay, that doesn't really make any sense. It also makes a lot of people, especially if you're here in California, kind of look. I know that I looked. I know that as soon as I heard this proposal, I went online and Google and I said, okay, uh, San Diego, is it a sanctuary city? No, San Diego is not a sanctuary city. So sigh of relief there. Whew. Although California is a sanctuary state, so they could, de- I mean, you could bring a lot of people into California as a sanctuary state. But it's going to make a lot of people look at what their city, what their city is doing. Well, they could sit there and pat themselves on the back for moral virtueing and saying, oh, good, good job for me because we support sanctuary cities. Now people who are the NIMBYs, not in my backyard, are going to look and say, well, are we a sanctuary city? Oh, I don't know if I, uh-oh, what if he actually goes through with this? Oh, no, I don't, I don't like the idea of that. Uh-oh. It's a, it's a brilliant move. Um. I hate the term 40 chess because it's, it's thrown out so much, this whole 40 chess thing, that it's 40 underwater basket weaving chess or whatever. It's just a smart move. It's a smart move on the part of President Trump to make the Democrats, again, put their money where their mouth is. And I don't think there's been a Republican to date. And I wasn't around during, I wasn't, I was a baby during Reagan's second term. So I don't remember what Reagan, but. I don't think there's been a president who's been able to manipulate the opposing party as well as President Trump has. He's been able to pull the strings and make them dance better than anybody. It's unbelievable. He does these things and Democrats get all bound up like pretzels and they can't figure out and they can't they can't argue their way out of it. So that's probably why he's running with it right now. And he can tell Sarah Sanders to put out releases that they're looking at it doesn't mean that they're seriously looking at it. They could be looking at it and talking about it and having meetings about it. But the more he puts this out into the news media and the more the news channels are talking about it, the more it's going to expose the blatant hypocrisy of the left when it comes to sanctuary cities uh, and sanctuary states like California. So moving on to local news, like I was uh, saying before, there's this article that I found. It's called California may be reaching the point of taxation. So kind of like saturation, but taxation. Um, the phenomenon of taxation occurs when taxpayers are so saturated with a new tax hike proposal that they start to rebel. According to a new poll, taxation may have finally arrived in California if it hasn't been here already. Last week, the Public Policy Institute of California released the findings of a survey showing that a majority of likely voters in the state aren't very happy with the tax burdens they are forced to pay. Most Californians say the state's tax system is unfair, which is a reversal from the same question asked in March 2017. More importantly, a solid majority of likely voters in California think they pay more taxes to state and local governments than they should. While perception is often not correlated with reality, it appears that Californians have a fairly realistic understanding of the tax burden in the state relative to other states. According to the report, quote, the public's perceptions are somewhat in line with fiscal facts. California's state and local tax collections per capita in 2015 were 10th highest in the nation, unquote, citing the left-leaning tax policy center. 
Note that another think tank, the Tax Foundation, ranks California even higher in tax burden. It shouldn't be surprising to anyone paying attention that citizens are reaching the breaking point on tax hikes. Every day seems to bring a new big tax hike proposal emanating from the state capitol. Just one example that popped up this week was a proposal to bring back California's estate tax, which was repealed by voters in 1982. Other tax hike proposals in the mix include higher income tax rates, a water tax, a soda tax, sales tax on services, and so-called, quote, carbon intensity tax, which I'm not even sure what that means. Moreover, when the California legislator doesn't want to do the dirty work of raising taxes directly, it is adept at enacting statutes authorizing local governments to raise taxes. The legislature has engaged in this practice for decades since the passage of Prop 13, starting with the infamous Mellow Ruse taxes on new developments. The most recent and dangerous example of this is Assembly Constitutional Amendment No. 1, which would lower the vote needed to pass a range of bonds and special taxes, including parcel taxes, from two-thirds down to just 55%. If approved by voters, constitutional amendments must be approved by a simple majority of statewide electorate, ACA 1 will leave the door open to billions in new local taxes and bond debt. And let's not forget the tax hikes put on the ballot by progressives who never met a tax they didn't like. Chief among them is the notorious split-roll proposal, which is already disqualified for the 2020 ballot. It would strip Prop 13's protection against higher property taxes from owners of business properties. The tax and spend lobby will argue argue that Californians actually like higher taxes, as evidenced by the failure to repeal the big increases in the gas and car tax passed in 2017. But the failure of Prop 6 last November was the result of a deceptive ballot label courtesy of our Attorney General, who doesn't hesitate to put his thumb on the scales of justice to benefit his political backers. The reality is that Californians have likely had enough. Even PPIC President Mark Baldessari interpreted the poll results as troubled water for the tax raisers, noting, The trends say to me that the governor and the legislature should proceed with caution when it comes to raising revenues or restructuring taxes in light of the perceived tax burden. Now, I always believe that there's going to be a certain point uh, in a capitalist society, in a society like America, where it gets to be too much. And what I mean is that sooner or later, it's going to give. That uh, California, when it comes to the price of real estate, when it comes to high taxes, sooner or later, because of the fact that people can move about from state to state, that they can freely get up and leave, that it's not, we're not a country. So if you want to go live in Arizona, you can do that. You can just move from one state to another. You want to move to Texas, you can go move to that state if you want lower taxes. So I think California overestimates its uh, importance and the fact that it thinks people are just going to keep taking it. Um, It's simple economics and the fact that people, if they have to survive, are not going to stay in a place that they can't pay for. With the increased cost of real estate, with the increased rents, with home ownership and stuff like that, excuse me, combined with high taxes, something's going to give. People are not just going to keep paying and keep paying and keep paying. And like we've discussed on this podcast, Gavin Newsom is in a lot of trouble if he thinks he can just keep taxing the wealthy and keep hoping that they stay here because the wealthy have the means to get up and move. So he can sit there and hope that the 1% of the wealthiest people in California don't move because that's where they get a lot of their tax revenue from. 
But at a certain point, you keep pushing people farther and farther and farther, and they're overtaxed. They're sooner or later, they're going to get up and leave. I mean, I'm, most people I've talked about or most people I've talked to say the same thing. They, they think about They love California. They love that it's a beautiful state. They love where they live. There's, there's a lot of great things about California. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who kind of look at other states and say, eh, can move to Arizona. My cost of living will be cut in half. My taxes will be cut way down. Get a lot more money in my, my pocket and my, my paycheck every month. That doesn't sound too bad. And that's why I think California is on the verge between the high taxes and the affordable housing. I think we're at a point now where it's sooner or later, it can't keep going. It can't keep being pressed more and more and more. And even people who are maybe center left are going to step back and say, okay, this is going to be a little much. I'm not going to pay a tax on everything. I once joked with someone and I made them almost spit their water out. I said, in California, the tax, when it comes to taxes, there's probably a tax on you passing gas or something. If you want it, like, there's so many taxes that if you sneeze the wrong way, they might tax you. There's so many ta- taxes in California and it's hard to keep up with them. Now, what's going to give first? You have Gavin Newsom with an ambitious budget. He has a $20 billion surplus, which he likes to argue or, or brag about. Um, but then he, he wants to keep pushing the taxes. So he's got this ambitious plan. He wants to keep taxing people. People in California are getting a little tired of paying the high taxes. So what's going to give? Are we going to have more people who flee the state? Are we going to have more wealthy and middle class who flee the state and can't support the state? Something's going to have to get. I think Gavin Newsom is going to be in for a rude awakening when he keeps thinking he can propose all these taxes and have his legislature propose all these taxes and that people are just going to take it laying down. And here in California, I, I, outside of the fact that John Cox, I thought, was an absolutely horrible candidate. I mean, the guy, he basically, once the general election between him and Gavin Newsom started, he kind of rolled over and died. He's been doing more fighting. I've been seeing him on Twitter fighting more uh, and, and taking pot shots at Gavin Newsom now rather than in the election. And in, then my sentiment is not alone, because if you look at the comments and the replies, people say, well, why didn't you fight this hard when you were running for governor? But I think this is Gavin Newsom, and I believe this, Gavin Newsom might be the breaking point for California. He is the, the absolute uh, epitome of a California liberal. He is, a, he is part of the 1% of California. He is uh, incredibly wealthy. He's well-connected. He's got a lot of buddies. Uh, he's so elite and uh, that he couldn't even fathom living in the governor's mansion. So he had to go buy a $4 million home in, in cash, $4 million home in cash out in a uh, affluent fenced in area of Sacramento in a suburb of Sacramento. Uh, so I think Gavin Newsom might be the breaking point when it comes to California. He's almost a joke to the point where he says stuff that comes out of his mouth and you say, this guy has to be a character caricature of what a California liberal looks like. And he is. He says all the socialist things. He wants the socialist health care plans. He wants all the businesses to pay for it. He thinks that all these taxes are fine. He thinks that illegal immigrants are fine, that we can pay to have their legal defenses paid for. But 
we'll see. We'll see if this taxation, if people are going to keep voting for it, or at a certain point, people are going to say, uh, maybe I need to go with someone else who actually isn't going to promise. Their only promise is to raise more taxes and more bond debt. Uh, and like we've discussed on this show, just remember, every time you vote for a proposition that says this authorizes the state of California to take out or to issue bonds, and then uh, you're, you're basically voting for more debt for California. Just keep that in mind. Every time, next time you read a proposition, it says it authorizes the state to take out or issue or propose more, more, more bonds. It just means we're going to take out more debt. That's all it means. So we shall see. But it's interesting to see that this is a, a more of a growing tide. And that at a certain point, people are going to start getting upset with this. And people are going to start waking up to this. I think now you've got this. You've got the SALT deductions. Uh, that were eliminated if you've got the idea that maybe they're going to start sending illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities and flooding these cities with illegal immigrants. There's going to be a lot of things that that moderates, people in the middle, which is who this podcast is also for, people with common sense who are in the middle, who just want to live their everyday life, are going to start looking at this and saying, "Uh, you know what, Uh, maybe I vote Republican next time, or I vote someone who's not a Democrat. So it's something to keep in mind. Um, another story that came out, uh, pretty long story in LA times. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read it. It's about like seven pages long. I tried to pull stuff out of it. I, I would highly recommend you can go to the show notes and find this LA times article. And it's about how hackers attacked the California DMV, um, because it was so hastily done. Um, to give you a quick synopsis, there was this whole motor voter idea that when you go to register to vote, that they wanted to have this thing where uh, once you go to the DMV, they, they want to get you set up to register to vote. However, because they were rushing so fast under Governor Brown and he wanted to get this out so fast, probably because of the primaries, and obviously you want to register a bunch of new voters. Um, I mean, it's a whole issue into itself. It's now becoming quite the little scandal. Um they had plenty of bugs. They had plenty of malware problems. The problem was that they, they were found out. They checked their IP address. They are being routed through somewhere in Croatia. I mean, you want to talk about Russian inter- interference. It does. Yeah, Croatia doesn't. is pretty close to Russia, so that's almost a, about as close as Russia interference, that if you're routing your voter information through Croatia. Um, even people who were working on it were saying that it was a terrible idea. I would highly suggest that you go and you read the whole article. There's a lot of interesting things in it um, because they did this study and they did this investigation. They found this stuff out. There's there's a lot of problems. What are they going to do about it? I don't know what, what you can really do about it at this point. If you scrap it, maybe you start. But they, I don't think it doesn't look like they're going to scrap it because they've registered so many new people. And the idea is they want to register as many new people as possible. And if you get those registered new people, they maybe they vote Democrat. Um, it's all about just increasing those numbers. It's going to be a problem. Um, because at a certain point, people who did it the correct way are here, are citizens. There's going to be too many flaws in this motor voter that there's going to be a lot of people. And we know with Judicial Watch, they found how many people in L.A. In L.A. alone, they found... Almost what a million people, a million and a half people, who were voter, who were either inactive or stuff like that. There is probably so much. There's probably so many problems with the actual 
voter role in California. It would take years for us to actually sit down and pull people off and say, okay, you're inactive, uh, you're not registered, you shouldn't be registered to vote, and change the whole and change the actual whole uh, landscape of the electorate here in California. So I would highly recommend you read it. Again, it's going to be in the show notes. Um, I didn't want to read the whole thing because this isn't going to just turn into an audible book of me just reading an enormous LA Times article. But uh, if you can, take a, take a look at it. It's, it's definitely caught the attention of a lot of Republicans who are kind of looking at it and saying, uh, this may be something to look into. Um, so in other, in other big news, California, if you're a gun owner, uh, the big news was that they uh, overturned a state ban on what they call high-capacity magazines. And a high-capacity magazine in California uh, is anything that holds over 10 rounds. Um, however, within one week, the same judge who issued it also issued a stay. So the fact that it went back into effect... Um, obviously Xavier Becerra, our beloved attorney general, obviously doesn't like that fact because he thinks that everybody who gets a high capacity magazine, we're just going to run around and commit, uh, mass murder and, and carnage. And, um, he doesn't want anybody in California to have a gun, just like most of the liberals in California. Um, so that was a big piece of news that came out. Um, so another thing that was interesting, I thought from all of this was the idea, if you, if you follow second amendment jurisprudence at all, it's the idea that, uh, guns should be legal, that weapon arms and, and guns should be legal that are, uh, what they call in common use. Now, the question of what is in common use is obviously always up for debate. What isn't? So I would say like an AR-15 is a pretty popular gun. It's in in common use, but a lot of gun control advocates want to ban AR-15s and assault, right? Or any assault weapon, even though they can't argue what an assault weapon is. I don't even know what, what I, their, their definition of an assault weapon is so flimsy and so vague that no one really knows what it is. It, Anything basically, they want to ban anything semi-automatic. Now, I don't think they realize this, but basically everything's a semi-automatic nowadays. Okay, anything that automatically reloads for you, so that you can fire again. You fire a shot, it loads again, so you can fire another shot. That's a semi-automatic. So any handgun, any basic handgun you get, semi-automatic, ban. That's their idea. But going back to the idea that anything that's in common use, it was a strategic move um, to get these high-capacity magazines into California. Because at this point, now, how many thousands of high-capacity magazines have been sold into California? Well, now you have all these people who have high-capacity magazines. Is that now mean it's in common use? It's an interesting question. We'll see what happens um, obviously the court said that the ban was unconstitutional to begin with. They granted the stay, but we're going to hear, uh, what happens when it comes into regards to that. Um, but a small victory, a small victory 
in gun owner world for Californians, the fact that people could run out and get high capacity magazines. I heard someone say, well, that's actually just, it's just a standard magazine. All these people saying high capacity magazines. Although I saw some pictures, people were buying these pretty high capacity magazines that were sticking way out of their handguns. Uh, not that I'm against it. I'm a full Second Amendment guy, so go for it. Wrote my law review article on the Second Amendment and how, uh, uh, you know, carrying conceal here in California should be a lot more laxed. San Diego, thankfully, we've actually been seeing good progress here in San Diego. There's been more people getting CCWs, and it seems to be there's an actual process that people can go get CCWs. I've actually spoken with a couple people, and they say, yeah, if you go through the process, uh, the more likely than not, you can actually get a CCW. You have to have a good reason, but you can work with a local little shout-out to San Diego County gun owners. If you work with them, they're actually going to give you a little template, and they'll help you through the whole process. So if you are interested in owning or getting a carrying conceal permit, Definitely reach out to San Diego County gun owners, uh, and they'll be able to help you. So in a file story that I read in the San Francisco uh, Chronicle, and yes, I know I actually had to sit through, and I, you know, I do this for you. I do this for you, the listeners. I read the bad articles sometimes uh, so that I can bring the news to you. Uh, this was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle. This was written back in February, but I just recently found it. It's about how Gavin Newsom wanted to be, uh, wants California to be its own nation state in what they call the Trump era. Um, basically, his whole idea, I mean, we're, we're seeing this play out right now. I mean, it's no surprise that Gavin Newsom wants to be his own nation state. He thinks he's the king of this little, his own little country of California. Uh, but... This is going to be part and parcel with what's going to be the breaking point, again, of California. He thinks that the Trump era and the Trump administration is for income inequality and doesn't support LGBT rights and for immigrants. Of course, they do the same old pandering again and again and again. Forget the fact that President Trump actually just uh, nominated second, not his first, his second openly gay judge to the federal bench. That's right. Not his, not his first, his second openly. And then he also has an openly gay ambassador in Germany. So this whole idea that he doesn't uh, pander or he doesn't help LGBT rights, I, I don't get it. Maybe the whole transgender thing in the military is what people get really set off about. But to be honest, I'm not really quite sure if I'd want. I don't know. That's a whole debate about transgender in the military. And, and it'd be interesting to talk to people or hear from people who are in the military right now. Uh, and again, a little plug, Cal, uh, go to California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Email me your thoughts. Go to anchor.fm slash California Underground. You can leave a uh, voice message as if you're calling into the show. But I'd love to hear from someone who's in the military about their thoughts about the transgender uh, ban in the military. But going back to this idea, Gavin Newsom wants to be his own nation state, that he thinks that California can live on its own without the federal government, which is... Uh, it's bold, but, uh, the next time that there's going to be wildfires, which there will be wildfires, the next time there's a drought, which there will be a drought, because even though we've had a lot of rain in California, uh, we neglected to actually put into place any plan to conserve all that water. Just remember a couple of years ago, they said, we're not going to build new reservoirs because of 
get this, because climate change, this is just the way things are going to be. And ever since then, uh, we've had two or three years of record rainfall. But because they said, well, climate change dictates that we are just going to be in a drought from here on out, so we don't have to spend money on new reservoirs. And that was one year. Um, so when the, you know, when the next drought comes and we're scrounging around for water, are you going to look to the federal government for help? Uh, when there's the next wildfires, are you going to look to the federal government for help? Um, now they're trying to say, well, we need to come up with our own health care plan because they're trying to gut the ACA. So I guess that means instead of just making sure they ensure that the ACA or the California Covered Program does not get affected, their whole idea is, well, we should just have a single-payer system. Duh. So Gavin Newsom, he thinks he's, he's starting to get in this idea of grandeur of California, but he stands upon this pedestal that has a foundation that's rotting away at the core when you really think about it, there are so many problems in California. And of course, it's great politically for Gavin Newsom to come out and fight President Trump on everything. Because it makes sense if he's pandering to the cities and the liberals in the cities um, to fight with President Trump and to paint him as some big boogeyman out in Washington, D.C. So... But he's going to have to still address the, the many issues in California. He likes to look at California through these rose-covered glasses. He does the same thing over and over again. We're the fifth largest economy in the world. We have a $20 billion surplus. We have, you know, he keeps going back to those numbers again and again and again. Although I, I've said this before, if California had an economic model, low taxes, pro-business, you might bump yourself up to four or three economy in the world if you actually embrace business it's pretty impressive that california is still the fifth largest economy in the world <laughs> it doesn't act when it's not actually pro-business um and if they were actually actually pro-business and they actually looked out for businesses uh let's see how how high it would actually go so it makes sense politically but gavin newsom's he's going to fall back on this again and again and again. He's going to use President Trump as the big boogeyman. He's going to keep using the same old stats of we're the fifth largest economy in the world and that we have this $20 billion surplus and everything's great. He keeps overlooking the fact that like this study I talked about, I talked about in this podcast, people are getting fed up with the taxes. People, middle class is leaving California at a record rate. Wealthy people are starting to leave the state at a record rate. That there's higher that we have the highest poverty in the nation right now. We have the highest income inequality in the nation. Okay, so for him to sit there and say it's all about President Trump doesn't recognize income inequality. Well, Gavin Newsom doesn't see the income inequality in his own state. He's not looking at these problems, and that's what's scary is that he thinks that these problems don't exist. That we're, we're so sound, we're so good, everything's great, everything's peachy keen, we can just go our own way, we don't need the federal government, thank you very much, we'll just move on. But he's not recognizing these hard facts, and instead he's just plowing ahead with his dream budget, his ambitious budget, what he wants to get done, his socialist programs, and this is going to come back to bite him. It's bold, but he's, because he's being so bold, he's risking it all in the sense 
it's either going to go really well, which I don't think it will, because how can you continue to tax people into prosperity? It's like the Winston Churchill. I don't know if Winston Churchill said it. The quote that uh, taxing people into prosperity is like standing in a bucket of water and trying to pull yourself up and lift yourself up from the handle. Uh, it, it the simple fact that people can just get in their cars and move to another state, they can just move over to Arizona, they can just move over to Nevada, they can move out and go somewhere else. Gavin Newsom seems to forget that people, if you overtax them, if you make it way too uh, expensive to live here, you keep hiking up taxes on every little thing, people are going to leave. And you can't have a nation state. This isn't like Venezuela. This isn't where you can close the borders, where people are going to say, people from Venezuela can't just leave the country. It's easy to leave California and go to another state. I know he likes to think that California is this nation state and no one's ever going to leave. People leave. Lots of people leave. In fact, record numbers of people are leaving the state. So he's got to address a lot of these issues instead of fighting battles with President Trump. It's great politically for him. It panders to the leftists in San Francisco and L.A. It panders to those people on the coast. And it looks great because he's the, he's the king of the resistance. We're going to be the resistance state in the age of Trump. But he's overlooking the most important issues. And he's overlooking the stuff that actually real voters and people who are working day in and day out just trying to put food on their table and pay rent every month or pay their mortgage every month. That's what they're really worried about. So we covered a lot today. Um, Thank you again for listening uh, to another episode of the California Underground. Again, if you want to email me, I want to hear from you, californiaunderground at protonmail.com. Go to anchor.fm slash Underground. And you can leave a voice message as if you're calling into the show. Follow me on Instagram at California Underground to keep up with uh, what's going on with the podcast. And obviously all funny memes. I like to post funny memes because we're in a meme war right now. We're in a meme culture. Uh, Everyone have a happy Easter, uh, Passover, all that stuff. Uh, And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 